Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And welcome to the Joy Superpower series in which we explore special superpowers each and every one of us can cultivate in order to navigate these turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon and I have the honour to be your host and in this episode I'm excited to be talking with Rachel Drucker-Miller about the Joy Superpower Resilience. Rachel is on a mission to humanise the workplace by igniting resilience, connection, engagement and compassion in organisations, associations, their leaders and teams. Rachel is recognised by Forbes, by Forbes as the next thousand honoree in 2021, the number one health promotion professionals in the US in 2015, a 40 under 40 game changer in 2019, and one of the daily records leading women of 2020. Rachel is a national thought leader in the field of employee engagement and well-being, and has facilitated over 300 virtual learning experiences since March of 2020, so extremely busy on, on Zoom, I imagine. <laughs> Recognised by Forbes, The Daily Record, Wellcoa, and The Workforce magazine as a reward-winning keynote speaker, facilitator, and entrepreneur, it's my pleasure and honour to have Rachel on the show today. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. I know that this is a, I think this is such a timely conversation to be having um, because I think a lot of people are really going to benefit from what we're talking about today. Yeah, no, it, it sometimes I see it like a, when people ask me about, you know, it's like a heavyweight boxing match mm. you're in the ring with Muhammad Ali or whoever, and, and you're getting knocked down by COVID, you're getting knocked down by the war in Ukraine, you're getting knocked by and by the, the, the crisis, the shooting, you know, recently that you had yesterday in the US uh, and all these things, right? So resilience is is one of the key superpowers for sure in today's world. So thank you for coming on to talk to us. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspires you to do the things you do to help people. So, you know, I grew up in an unconventional home. My parents were actually both teachers originally. That was their first career. And then they both work for themselves as, as entrepreneurs. And so my dad is a management consultant and I saw him having clients come into the house when I was a kid growing up. And I, you know, he, he listened to Tony Robbins and he'd watch Oprah. And so I had at a very young age, this introduction to people that lived in a space of possibility, which I've come to realize is an unusual way to grow up. Right. <laughs> at the time, you know, it's all you know. So you're like, oh, this is normal, right? But right. then you realize later that it's not. And I remember when I was, I think I was in eighth grade or a freshman in high school, my parents had gone to a Tony Robbins conference and they came home and my dad walked in the door. He said, mom's going to start her own business. And so I just had this exposure from that, from that very young age about what was possible in terms of creating a life for yourself. And so one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me is I never saw them hate work. Like I never saw them come home defeated. I never saw them complaining mm. about a boss, mainly because I never knew my dad to have a boss other than himself. <laughs> and, you know, they were present for things that matter. We had, you know, babysitters and whatnot, but, you know, there were certain experiences that they gave me that, that 
set the bar pretty high for me once I started in the workforce. And so I feel like I've carried that sense of expectation throughout my career that work should be something fulfilling and meaningful and enjoyable and purposeful and not a drag and not something you slog through until you retire at 65. That was just never my model of what work should be. Mm. And so I wanted to create spaces where other people could feel that way about work. Yeah, that's amazing that you've had that that background, which you consider normal, but I think the research says that 80% of people are unsatisfied in their work. Yeah. And we're seeing that obviously in the great resignation happening as we speak. So many people, I think the statistic that I last saw that one in four people are planning to quit their jobs in the next 12 months. Oof, 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 oof. It's a lot of people. A lot of opportunities. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a lot of change for management. I was talking to a dear friend, um, Priscilla McKinney from Little Bird Marketing. Um, she won't mind me giving her a little plug um, the other day. And, and she said that I think it was five people out, eight people in, in the last couple of months. Oof. So as a boss, it's like, wow, that's a huge thing. But it's also a huge opportunity. You know, if people aren't satisfied in their job, then I say, hey, quit, go find something you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least a place that appreciates you and acknowledges you and makes you feel seen and heard. You know, it's like I think mm. sometimes people will compromise things like, is this my best possible job opportunity for do I like the people I work with? Do I respect the company and its direction and vision? And do I feel like I matter here? I think people will compromise. Right. And I think that's actually not such a horrible thing no. to compromise perhaps what their ultimate passion is to be able to work for an organization mm. that they feel aligned with. Yeah, I think so, you know, because again, having somebody who's worked for themselves now for 10 years, I know the challenge of, of that scenario mm -hmm. and it's not for everybody that, no. that sort of stress that what's the paycheck next month. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. Thing. Some people find that hard, you know, and would really have that security of a regular paycheck yeah. is, is definitely something that they would appreciate yeah. for sure. Okay. So resilience, we talk about resilience as a mindset, thought processes that can help you obviously overcome challenges, maintain mm -hmm. focus. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. And you state on your website, that you're on a mission to humanize the workplace by igniting resilience, connection, engagement, compassion. Can you tell me a bit more about that mission? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times I've gotten some, well, I've gotten some clarity over the past couple of years in particular around what it is that people value most from how I help them. And I think I think everyone would benefit from taking a pause and doing that and paying attention to what are the words people are using when they come to you. What are the words people use to describe an experience they've had with you after you've worked with them? And I've started to laser in on what those words are. And so two of the key things, I'd say three of the key things that I see consistently come up from, you know, probably 130 intake forms on my website for people that are, you know, have reached out to me to, to book me in the past two years are things like we're looking to energize and engage and motivate and foster connection among our team. Our people are struggling. Our people are having a hard time. They need support. And so... When I think of how I can best do that, you know, my, my background is in well-being. I've been in the well-being industry for 16 years. And so I've gotten a lot of perspective on how we can take an approach that integrates all these aspects of who a person is, their professional aspirations and their social emotional health and their mental health and their physical health and their financial and 
health and their spiritual health. Like I take a very whole person approach to what I do so that people don't feel like I'm coming in with a prescription mm. to say, here's all the things that you should do. I'm so I'm more so a catalyst or an activator. I'm somebody that creates opportunities for reflection or opportunities for and, and opportunities for connection and opportunities for sharing and um, experience sharing and insight sharing and storytelling so that people feel like they're having their own moments of insight as opposed to sage on the stage coming in here are the five ways that you need to do xyz here are the five ways you need to be resilient here's the five ways you need to do this like there's certain insights and teaching points i have of course yeah and we'll talk about some of them today but i find and it's not just I find like we know from like a learning perspective that people learn best when when they internalize something and when mm. they apply it to their own life. And so I found that when I get when I invite people to share stories around a time they've overcome and seemingly insurmountable challenge in the past using resourcefulness and resilience and they're telling each other that that there's so much more insight than me just saying, <laughs> here's the keys to be resilient or if we give people a really meaningful connection experience that that's way more powerful than me saying here's the three benefits of being connected in the workplace like give people an experience that they get to be a part of and they'll remember it better it'll stick with them so much so much more and so that's when i think about you know kind of what inspires the work that i do i i just find that people are feeling often so alone in the challenges they face oh. at work. And I get to be a voice of validation and affirmation um, and, a, and an invitation to reflect and connect. Oh, I love that approach, Rachel. I love the fact that I personally believe that, you know, most of us, almost all of us, we have the answers within us. Yes. You know, this is not rocket science. We're not sending people to Mars here. <laughs> and this is life. And we're all alive. And so we all know how to live, but we've lost that connection. We lost that understanding, that mm -hmm. ability to, to do that. So if you can open them up to finding that within them through your facilitation, through your engagement, I, I agree that's much more powerful than you giving them a magic formula or a little pill right. to take, right? Just yeah. to have those stories, let them tell and you inspire them. Um, sounds like a good way to do it. Thanks. Yeah, it seems to be seems to be working. It works. It works. So why unmuted? I, I like love the word unmuted. It's got a great ring to it. So tell me, tell me what inspired you to be unmuted? Uh, well, because I was muted. I uh, I spent I people meet me as an adult now that did not know me when I was younger and think like, oh, well, you're so friendly and you're so perky and bubbly and I can't imagine that you were ever anything but that. But I was, no, I don't know. This is not how I was for much of my life. I was reserved and I was timid and I was guarded. Mm -hmm. I socially, I was very shy. I was not, um, would not have considered myself outgoing at all. Uh, and I loved singing, but I would do that privately. Not, I wouldn't want anyone to ever hear me do that. And because it just felt really exposing and vulnerable and revealing. And I, what if I mess up? I was very focused on like doing everything right and 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 getting straight a's and like this perfect i had this very perfectionistic approach to kind of everything i did especially school and following the rules and i think a lot of that was rooted in when i was five or six years old five my parents were going through a tough time in their marriage and they separated briefly and so you know when you're a kid you internalize an experience like that 
in a number of ways. Like maybe you're, mm. my, my brother found ways to sort of act out, you know, and that's how he got attention. And he was, you know, that was his approach. And then my approach was be the golden child and mm. just don't upset the apple cart, you know, like don't be someone who creates any more stress. And so if I was scared or if I was sad or if I was angry, I, you know, good girls don't express those emotions. And so I didn't. And I had chronic health issues, ear, nose and throat infections and surgeries. And, um, and it was, con you know, frequently on medication. Throughout my childhood, I had digestive issues, uh, acid reflux for 10 years as an adult. Um, and I know that there's a connection between all of that and the fact that I was suppressing and silencing myself emotionally. Right. And ex I, I was not expressing myself artistically, creatively, emotionally, socially. I was just very guarded and timid and scared. And so it's been over the past 20 years, truly. Particularly, I'd say the past, let's say, 16, 17, maybe, especially, that I've had this gradual process and I'm still on a path. It's not like, oh, something happened and I'm unmuted. It was, it's been this progression, starting with taking a risk to study abroad in college and coming back from that. I lived in Spain, Southern Spain. And coming back from that and having just this sense of aliveness because the culture there is so vibrant and so alive and so expressive. It was like a total extreme from how I kind of grew up mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's dancing and there's music and there it's just everything, you know? And, and so I came back from that and I tried out for my first solo in gospel choir. And then I just progressively, there've been things that have happened along the way. And my ultimate unmuting was three years ago in 2019, where I left my corporate job of 13 years, full-time, um, same company and I launched my own business and now I speak and and sing you know and as 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 my job and I could have never imagined that this is what I would be doing given how I started that's interesting so you talked at the very beginning well firstly thank you for sharing that mm. that part of your personal journey and you talked at the beginning obviously the gift that your parents gave you mm -hmm. on the positive side of their model their role modeling um now there's a sort of a balance to that yeah. way of saying yeah and i think that's something most of us have we have you know these huge experiences or even small experiences that become huge for us yeah and especially as children we can take on these things of our parents mm -hmm. and not realize at the time how greatly that's going to impact our journey for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Our own relationships, the, the mm -hmm. people we choose to marry, for example, mm -hmm. can be founded very much in that. So thank you for sharing yeah. your vulnerability with that. It was great to hear that. Great that you found your voice as well now. Yeah, it feels good. I tell you, it's like, oof, man. It, it just Do, would so you like to give our listeners a little bit of your voice or <laughs> is, that a, is that a step too far? No, it's not a step too far. Um, let me think through what might be. Uh, there's a song. So there's a song that everybody, um, that everyone knows uh, that I'll, I can just sing perhaps a snippet of because it's a longer song. So I don't want to you know, subject people to like, um, 
<laughs> like a four minutes. We'll, we'll, we can link to them. We can link them to the full song. Correct. Um, so I'll, I'll sing this. I'll sing that snippet of the song. It's a Beatles song that everybody knows. So here we go. Mm-hmm. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be, oh, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. There you go. Well, you have a beautiful voice, Rachel. Thank you for sharing. And a good choice of song as well. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be, let it be, let it be. That's such mm-hmm. such profound words when you take them in and sung in such a beautiful way. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, sure. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> so talk about your own experience with resilience. How has it shown up in your life? Have you always been resilient? Is it something you've learned over time through experience? When you needed it in your life the most? A lot. Um, I, <laughs> you know, when I think, well, first of all, when I, when I think of resilience, you know, often people say, oh, it's just like you just bounce back and you keep on moving. And the reality is, I think one thing to clarify is it's not something that you do or don't have. It's a capacity that can be developed, mm. it's a capacity that can be developed to move forward in the face of adversity and often experience some degree of what's called post-traumatic growth after the experience. So perhaps you have an increased sense of meaning or purpose deeper sense of spiritual connection, you've um, personal relationships have grown in some way, you have an appreciation of your own strength, you have an increase in your sense of uh, self-compassion or compassion for others. So there's all of these um, new opportunities perhaps emerge. So in the midst of going through a hard thing, there's this capacity to grow as a result of it. Not that we would have chosen it, not that we say that we like that the thing happened. We're not happy that the thing happened. You know, I think because that can get a little messy, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's this this ability to sort of to ab- absorb and release energy because you're you're going through an experience that's really hard and like you're feeling the weight of it, you know, and it's like, oof, and then you feel knocked down. And in the midst of that, you're kind of integrating it and you're figuring out and you're getting support and you're doing things. Mm-hmm to help yourself rise up. So a couple of specific situations for me, there's three that come to mind in particular. I burned out in 2017 and got mono Epstein-Barr virus from just driving myself into the ground and putting work above all else and being unwilling to ask for help and being unwilling to share that I was struggling and uh, being so defined by what I did that I just let it completely consume me. Mm. And I drove myself to burnout. The second situation was in when I launched my business seven months before COVID happened. <laughs> I, I was a full, the, my only source of income, and I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. My husband's a, actually an elementary school teacher. And I, everything shut down. And my only source of income was in person speaking engagements. That was it. I had no other 
no other backups, nothing, no res like no residuals. And I had to get really creative really, really fast. Unfortunately, mm. creative creativity and curiosity are two of my top values. So those got supercharged to figure out what to do. And so I switched to virtual and I was like, well, I'm already talking about resilience while being an employee engagement. Geez, what do people need help with right now? March of 2020, I'm like, I am well positioned to support people right now. And, and then six weeks later, so I start to navigate that, start to kind of, you know, bounce back, so to speak, and then literally got knocked down, hit by a pickup truck while I was out running with my husband in May of 2020 wow. and fractured my back. And for a period of time, I literally could not get myself up off of the ground by myself um, for several months. I remember my first physical therapy appointment, which was two weeks after the accident. I came in with the back brace on because I had to wear it to stabilize my back. It was a you know, fracture in my spine. And he said, oh, you, you can take that off. Like if you're here in PT, it means that like you're, you're healing enough. Mm. It's going to take, takes months to heal a, a bone fracture. But it's like you're here enough that you could take that off. And I was like, this is my safety blanket. I'm like, uh, no, but take it. And he goes, so show, show me how you get up and show me how you get uh, up off the ground. And I said, Oh, I don't, I just, <laughs> I sit in an electric recliner all day. Like I don't get up off the ground. He's like, well, we're going to work on that. Cause you need to learn how to do that again. Mm. And so I was, I would literally rely on my husband's strength or literally rely on the, the table that was there to like, help me lift myself up. Cause I couldn't do it on my own. And so that experience to me was the most, um, just, uh, not even metaphorical, but like literal example of what it is to be knocked down and to have to learn to rise back up again. So everyone's had their, their battles. Everyone's had their hard things they've gone through. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, I wouldn't want to repeat any of these situations, but I've learned a lot about my capacity to get through hard things as a result of being here and still standing today. Yeah, well, you certainly are. And I think, you know, when you talk about those three things in quite a short time frame, really, yeah. you know, it's like bam, bam, bam. It's a bit like we talked about at the beginning with society getting these bam, bam, bams mm -hmm. at the moment. And I like the way I don't like the way because obviously um, it's it's as you said, it's hard when you have to feel and go through these experiences. Mm -hmm. But that mix of sort of mental, emotional and, mm -hmm. and physical as well as financial um, mm -hmm. and those times you've got a broad spread of different yeah. ways of which you need ex resilience <laughs> in your life. Yeah. And I think just, I've always had a really strong sense of agency. Like mm. I've, I've, I don't, it could, I think that that is, could be partial influence from my parents of seeing people that are so industrious as entrepreneurs. Like you have to have a strong sense of agency of like making things happen in your life. So I'm sure that that's part of like my constitution of having that example and being in a position of, well, figure it out. Like I very much have a figure it out mindset as opposed to a defeatist mindset. I've just, I just, I've, you know, there are people that are legitimate victims of situations, right? That are legitimate, totally innocent, did not choose, right? But I just, from a mindset perspective, I choose to not see myself defeated as a victim by any of these situations. It's a choice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the hardest one for that obviously must be the physical one. I have a good friend who was also in a car accident mm. and, you know, totally no fault of his own or even the driver of the car he was in. And it's hard to not be the victim in that case. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
yeah. to say it was a choice it was it's it's not easy to to do that yeah are you how did you get around that for, for that one yeah. where how did you not end up sort of being the victim well I felt sorry for myself I and mean, I think part of it is like acknowledging I let myself grieve you know I think a lot of people they don't let themselves grieve mm. they have the moment of shock for whatever the thing that happened was they get angry about it maybe they get depressed and they stay there and sometimes that's when like therapy is warranted like mm -hmm. if you feel like you're in a, a really a, 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 a valley in your life and you just can't seem to shake it and you can't seem to get unstuck and you just have this heavy cloud following everywhere you go mm -hmm. i'm a huge advocate of therapy i've i've had ptsd from this accident so i've seen a therapist for a year and a half and she has been a somatic therapist who integrates mind and body mm -hmm. um work and our visits and it's been life-changing for me and so i think anyone who's struggling with that there's still way too much of a stigma around getting mental health support to me it's just like i'll talk about it to anybody i'm like this is just everyone should have someone to process their pain with that can give them perspective and skills and tools for how to better navigate it like every human has mm -hmm. stuff every human has trauma big t trauma little t trauma every human has been through stuff that's really hard that most people don't give themselves permission to process and so it gets suppressed and the sadness and the anger and the pain gets stuck and so if I was sad I let myself be sad there were moments where I would just I remember one day I looked outside it was a beautiful day the accident happened on May 3rd of 2020 it was probably two weeks later it was a beautiful day in May and I saw people running by our house in our neighborhood and I just started I just started crying and I just went to my mm -hmm. husband and I you know he knew that just like hold me you know and I was really sad, you know? So when I was sad, I let myself be sad. There were moments where I would, you know, bargaining is an aspect of the grieving process. And I would say, if only I'd left the house two minutes later, if only we'd gone a different route, if only we'd crossed the street on the other side for, like you can sit there and rationalize your way through everything, which is a natural part of that process. That is a natural part of grief is to bargain. And so I just let myself experience these moments of, of, or of anger. Like, why did this happen to me? Like, I've already, this year has already been hard enough. Like, <laughs> but none of that is ultimately productive. So there's a moment that stood out to me. This was a crazy story. Do you want to hear, like, you can't even make this stuff up. My husband and I were at a track because one of the things I could do, like the only form of exercise I could do was walk. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I could do that, but I had to do it slowly and very carefully. And we were walking around a track by our house and there was a field in the middle and there were, you know, different people playing different sports in the field. And there were these two guys that were playing catch with a football and they were pretty jacked. I mean, these guys were like very much in shape. And so one of the guys went out, to, went to throw a pass out to his friend. And so his friend like cuts in and sprints out and makes this incredible one arm grab, like stop me in my tracks, one arm grab NFL level. Whoa. And I noticed as he brought the catch, he brought the ball in and he turned to run back to his friend. That was his only arm that he mm. caught the ball with. He had like a stub on the other side and he was like, like muscles, like he was in serious shape. And I had this moment of like, you're going to be okay. Like you have all your appendages intact. And so I went home and I watched the Alex Smith documentary. He was an NFL player who had this really awful um, fracture that happened during a game that ended up, you know, in sepsis that he could have died in the hospital. And his, he was the comeback player of the year. And then 
Bethany Hamilton had her arm bit off by a shark as a surfer, and then she's still surfing. And so I started to seek out these stories of other people who had been incredibly resilient that had faced situations that put them in a much more like desperate situation than what I was in. And I used that as a way to encourage myself. That's brilliant. I love that story, just the turning around and seeing that. Mm. So visualized what you were feeling inside and to, to have that produced for you on a plate. Hey, Rach, it's not so bad, right? It's not so bad. You've got two arms, two legs. Yeah. You're doing okay. You're doing okay. So if anybody listening is inspired by this story, I would also suggest you check out the episode we had earlier with Terry Tucker on coping with pain. And one of the things that, you know, he's a man who, who suffered, or didn't suffer, he had lots of experiences with pain in his life. And one of the things that still sticks in my mind really clearly is when he said that we're all gonna have pain in our life, Andrew, but we can choose whether to suffer or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and that, you know, if somebody who's been through that amount of, pain as he has to be able to stand up and say no I'm I'm, I'm, I'm choosing not to suffer it's not easy Mm-mm. and some days I'm going to be angry and some days mm-hmm. I'm going to feel these other emotions let them on but don't hold on to them was yeah. his saying a bit like you went to let it go to process them but uh, to move forward to to go that and you talked about your creativity your curiosity as being mm-hmm. these other superpowers that helped you through this and I'm sure there are things that help you when you talk to people in business about resilience yeah I mean one is because I think all of us you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert her book yeah yeah super good book and one of the things I love about it is she's like you know we're all creators you know what I mean like we're all creative beings Mm -hmm. and it's like most of us decide that if we can't draw past age six more than a stick person, then we're not creative. And it's like, what a limitation on creativity. <laughs> How unfair. Creativity comes in so many forms. And one of the ways I love to see it play out in the work in the work that I do is inviting groups of employees to come together and to imagine possibilities. So I was with a group of actually educate like people that work in education mm-hmm. last week doing a session for them. I, we did I love the show Ted Lasso. Do you like the show Ted Lasso? I haven't watched it, but I've heard of it. It's so good. So it was Ted Lasso's lessons on leadership. And one of the things that we did is we focused on like coming together. Cause one of the things he says is like, if you got to live, if you got a little love in your heart, kind of like, no matter what you're going through, like, it's like, you know, you ain't never alone or like, we can get through this together. I'm batching the quote. That's the gist of it. And so I bring people together, like for like even virtual or in person, like, basically design thinking experiences where we're inviting them to say, hey, how might we be resourceful and creative in how we foster connection and community in the next six to nine months as we're trying to navigate this hybrid Mm -hmm. world of work? So instead of me coming in as the expert being like, I read this in Harvard Business Review, which I do and that's helpful. It's not nearly as helpful or empowering as inviting the groups of people that actually work at the company to come together with each other and share, hey, what what are we already doing that's working? What might we try? What's been an idea floating around in your head that you haven't had an outlet to express yet that you think that we should explore and consider? Mm. So when you're bringing them together, when people are involved, they're engaged. And so when you bring them together and activate their creativity by asking thoughtful questions, generative questions, 
it's incredible to me how inspired people are by each other. And I want them to be more inspired by themselves and each other ultimately than they are by me because I don't work there. Like I'm going to be, you're not going to be there tomorrow, right? Next week, <laughs> like, next month. Yeah. you know, like some groups I do series with, or I do stuff, you know, for a year long and we're, you know, coming together every six to eight weeks for a couple of hours. But in a lot of cases I'm coming in for maybe one or two or three experiences. Mm. And the goal is to sort of, you know, teach them to fish. And uh, so I find that to be really fun is to ask questions that are rooted in curiosity that invite people to be creative with each other and to sort of flex that muscle. So that's, that's how I see that playing out and just asking lots of questions. Like before I work with a client, I think everyone that works that has clients or customers would benefit from hearing this is so often we come in, it's easy to come in and be like, here's my dog and pony show. Here's all the things that make me great, all the things that I do. Yep. They care about how this applies to them. So I ask a lot of questions before I start working with somebody to find out what are their pain points? What is working? What would make this a success for them? Um, what are they wanting to hear people say after this experience? What are they wanting to see them do differently? Like really laser in and get get clear and you have to be curious in order to, in order to do that. And it just, it leads to a better outcome, I think. I do, I think it is, and it's very true. And I love the way that it's, it's not your, what's it, horse and pony show, dog and pony oh, show. Dog and pony show, yeah. Dog and pony show. <laughs> um, definitely not, um, you know, it's their show and, yeah. and you're just inspiring. You're being the catalyst. Yes. Helping them unmute. Yes, exactly. Got yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dung, light bulb moment. There you go. Brilliant. So you've talked with a, a lot of businesses and a lot of business leaders over the last few years. What do you see as the common themes of why do they feel they're needing resilience at the moment in particular? Are there things that sort of pop up regularly when you talk to different <sighs> leaders? I mean, you've got things like turnover being one, disengagement being another. Um, you know, people wanting to recruit talent, like how do we get good people to work here? Like we've got to do things differently than other people are doing them as an organization. Um, I think just leadership in general, like a lot of leaders we know, as we know, get into positions of leadership because they're good technically at what they do, perhaps as an individual contributor. And mm -hmm. then they, have ne they don't necessarily have any business like actually leading people. <laughs> but they're given that opportunity and they don't haven't even necessarily developed these skills on their own. And then they're expected to instill them in the people that they lead, which mm. is unfair. That's unfair. They're set up to fail. I think a lot of times that organizations leaders are set up to fail because they're not given the tools or the experiences or the reflective practices or the uh, connecting experiences with their peers to learn from their peers about what's working or to learn from people that have gone before them. And so I think that there's a lot of opportunity now that, you know, managers are having to manage people's emotions or employees crying and breaking down and burning out. And they're like, I'm not equipped to do this. And they're not like, and they're dealing with their own stuff that they mm. haven't fully processed. And then, and then they're expected to handle basically like be someone's therapist, which is not, that's not their job, but they have to be empathetic and they have to be present and they have to know how to triage somebody essentially and give them the resources and mm. listen to them and figure out, well, what can I do to support this person? What, what flexibility can I offer them? Uh, where are they struggling that 
I might be able to influence? Um, what burden are they carrying that I might be able to alleviate in some way? But they're not even trained to ask those questions. No. You know? No, no, definitely. And I was there that I was one of those people who was promoted, I suppose, because I was good at something, but I certainly <laughs> wasn't good at managing people. And unfortunately, anybody of my people who have worked for me who are listening, I apologize for that. But I was as, as good as I was at the time. And, mm -hmm. but, you know, yeah, we had to, you know, keep face. It was sort of this yes. sort of, you couldn't show weakness. Um, whereas mm -hmm. I think today, a lot more leaders are willing to show vulnerability. They're willing to be authentic about their own thing. Or you're still seeing there's a lot of sort of face and mm -hmm. sort of pretend going on. I think there's so much room for opportunity. And I think it varies by industry too. Like certain industries are more stoic just inherently. Mm. Like I do a lot of work in financial services, accounting, ah. engineering, ain't happening. People are not <laughs> showing up and sharing the thing that they're struggling with. One, because if they don't see it modeled from the very top of the organization, mm. what's communicated is we don't do that here. We don't, that's not okay here. Um, and there's still a lot of judgment because people are managing their own, well, they're not managing their own pain and trauma and challenges that they haven't actually dealt with. And it's influencing the way that they're leading. Yep. And they're completely unaware of it. There's a blindness to how they're showing up. There's, and there's for a lot of people, a lack of a desire to have any of that magnified because it, people have the city, well, I'm not going to change. Mm. Well, there's a stubbornness that comes, there's a pride that shows up that most people don't like to acknowledge. And that the fact that they might have to do something differently. Mm -hmm. And they've been successful doing what they yeah. did, right? So they- well, Yeah, they think they are. They're like, this is comfortable. It's at least they're, I think people are just like, the idea of having to learn a new way of being. Mm -hmm. As I've talked to my therapist, I, I mean, she says very few people, <laughs> she's been doing this for a long time. She said, very few people actually have a desire to turn the mirror on themselves and find out perhaps how they might be contributing to their own dysfunction mm. and the dysfunction of the relationships they have with others. Most people, it's sort of like ignorance is bliss and it leads to such ruptures and mm. damaged relationships with, within themselves and with the other people that they live with or work with or connect with. And I think self-awareness and curiosity and the desire to learn and grow. Th those are some of the traits that need to be developed and honed yeah. in, in leaders. Well, in everybody, in everybody, in everybody. children, yes. teachers. <laughs> um, humans, humans. <laughs> you know, the, and I think you've hit the nail on the head in many ways there, that it struck me that, you know, the, the pandemic, all the other challenges, you know, the war in Ukraine, the, the, the school shooting, we just talked about all these other challenges the world is experiencing, how terrible they are, but at the same time, they're an opportunity for most of us to, to look inside maybe, yeah. to, to see that, hey, how can I change? What do I want in my life moving forward? And I think you're right that many people still don't have those mental tools to deal with mm -hmm. 
that change when even because I think now they're sort of recognizing they're not happy mm-hmm. where they are or where they were yesterday but they're not quite sure still how to get where they need to be tomorrow yeah so some of those tools that you're teaching definitely help I've mentioned curiosity we talked about I think mm-hmm. creativity resilience self-awareness I think it's a long list right <laughs> It's, it's a, well, it's a long list and people can begin just listening to this conversation today. Like Andrew, I think what they can do is start by asking the people that they interact with most frequently, Hey, what am I doing? Well, when I show up at my best, mm-hmm. when I'm most effective, what do you see in me? Yeah. Question one, right? That points to what's my goodness. Cause people want to know, like people feel like they're just hot messes right now and aren't getting anything right. And that the, you know, the mm-hmm. world's imploding. And it's helpful to take a moment to say, what am I doing well? What are my strengths? What do you see in me when you see me at my best? And to ask, hey, when you see me being my least effective self, what do you see emerge that you think that maybe not that you think, but what do you see emerge that I might not be aware of? Mm. And asking yourself that question when you're least effective. I ask that question in the workshops I do. I invite leaders to think about when are you most effective? What does it look like when you're most effective as a leader? How do you show up? What does it look like when you're least effective as a leader? How do you show up? Mm. And what I found is that people really love having that conversation because they get to have shared vulnerability with each other and they get to say, oh yeah, I do this thing. And then somebody else in their group is like, oh my gosh, I do that too. And then somebody else is like, oh yeah, I totally do. And so then you don't feel like you know, there's something inherently wrong with you, you recognize, oh, a lot of people do that when they're being mm-hmm. ineffective. Uh, that's not like a character flaw. It's something I now have an awareness of, and I can make a choice to be mindful of when that, that gets triggered or when that behavior starts showing up. I can ask someone, hey, when you see me showing up this way, can you do this for me? Can you ask me this question? Can you um, pull me aside? Can you bring it to my attention because I may not be aware. So I think, I think it starts with having some self-reflection of what am I, what am I doing? Well, when do you feel like at your best, what shows up, you know, when you're most effective, what are you doing? How are you feeling? What does it look like? So self-reflection. And then when you're least effective and then ask, uh, ask other people say, Hey, this, this is hard for me. You can even say, this is really hard for me to do. I actually would prefer to be ignorant to this, but I know that that's not best for my growth or my leadership. So could you tell me about, you know, when I'm not, when you've seen me like not at my best, what are some of the things that I may not realize that I do? I'm just going to try to say, could you just share with me one thing? Could you start with one thing? Because you don't want to flood people. When people get flooded, they get triggered. and they. Get I'm glad you asked. I've got a list. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you the 25 ways that you oh, suck. Yeah. Like no one wants to hear that. But if it's, what's one thing? What's mm. one thing that I could do that you think I could do differently in how I show up that would improve our relationship or that would improve this dynamic or that would help people to help me to be more effective? What's one thing that you see? Yeah. Um, and I may ask you some questions. Once you tell me, I may ask some questions to get beneath that because I really want to understand it because I really want to grow. And I'm probably going to mess it up and I'm not going to get it right the first time. Right. But if you'll be someone who gives me ongoing feedback when you see that come out of me, and if you could just acknowledge, if you see me making an improvement in some area, if you could just ignore, let me know that and say, hey, I, I know that you've been working on this and I, and I see that you've made this shift and I'm really proud of you and I think that's great. 
that's a beautiful team dynamic right there when people are sharing that amongst each yeah. other and sort of being buddies in a way along this this journey to coach each other and just to nudge yes. each other along yes and in this yeah. realization that it's hard especially in today's world of all the challenges whether that's mm -hmm. personal or societal challenges we face this remote working even if you're a leader right if you've got people you might not have seen for two years or you've never seen you hired them two years ago and you still never met them and you're supposed to be their boss with an emotional connection it's right. not easy right <laughs> so let's admit it's not easy to start with yeah and and then we can work together but if we think we're some sort of superman mm -hmm. sort of boss who's got all the answers you know that's not gonna help here one question before we sort of wrap up that's really sort of interest me is do you find a situation where sort of a leader calls you in to do this sort of for for their teams mm -hmm. but they're not interested themselves in hmm. in changing and doing the work you know they see it as sort of a plaster or some sort of sort of i don't know solution to somebody else's problem and uh, that are not prepared themselves to do that do you come across that and if you do what do you do and you know does it does it can it still work is it still mm. valuable well i'll be honest when i'm in a conversation initially with somebody and i'm doing a discovery call and if they tell me that like their leaders like a narcissist <laughs> or that you know they tell me something that's a red flag to me mm. i'll i'll be honest and say look doing this particular experience if you want me to say these things, but these things are going on behind the scenes, what I do may end up backfiring on you. Uh, I'll say that, like I'll lose business. I will lose business to be honest because there's, it's frustrating if I'm saying, this is the way people need to lead and everyone knows nobody leads like that here. Uh, That's setting everything up to fail. It's setting me up to be ineffective and you know, and I've had that happen before and there's a client and I was just like, when can, let's just like wrap this engagement or like right. early or let's shift what we're going to do and not focus on the real issue since that's not clearly what people mm. here are willing to do. Let's just do something for the people that are interested in learning and shift the focus of what we're going to do. So sometimes you sort of concede like that. Um, I find there's a situation I get brought in, people are skeptical. One, because they're like, oh, a young, bubbly, Mm. You know, first of all, I was 40. So, I mean, I'm still young, but I'm not like 25, you know, right. and not that that makes you incompetent or anything or lesser if you're 25, but like, I've been doing this for like not five minutes mm. and I still have a lot of room to grow, but I know that I come in and people have an expectation of what someone like me is going to be like. And I often have people come up to me after an experience, whether it's a keynote or a workshop or a retreat or something. And they'll say, I gotta be honest. If I could tell you the number of times people have said things like, I've got to be honest. I was with a CPA firm doing a session, for instance. I'll give you two examples. Doing a, C a session on a resetting mindset. This was probably about a year and a half ago. And they had about 60 people from the firm on the session. And at the very end of it, I asked people, I asked them for input on like, what did they most appreciate about the experience today? And so somebody unmuted themselves and raised their hand and he said, I got to be honest. He's probably like early 50s guy. I got to be honest, coming into this, well, this wasn't the most appropriate thing to say, but he said something to the effect of, I thought you were going to be kind of like this hippy dippy yoga chick. <laughs> um, but I actually got way more out of this than I expected to. Mm -hmm. And then I see the whole, I see a gallery view and people are nodding their heads and like, oh, so you all had very low expectations for what this was going to be today. 
I understand what my industry has done to you where you think someone, the wellness person is going to come in and just say, go walk 15 minutes a day. No, we're going to get to real stuff. We're going to have real conversations about, about how you've adapted and how you've grown and what are you proud of? And we're going to give you opportunities to reflect and connect in meaningful ways and get to know each other and see the humanness in each other. So that's one example of someone literally outright saying that. And then another situation, I was doing something with a group of about 20 leaders was a half day retreat about navigating the next normal. And these folks are in like IT consulting, IT services, mostly men, mostly fifties and sixties. And so several people after the session came up to me and they said, like, I wasn't really looking forward to this today. I thought you were going to like make us do trust falls or something, but I, I am surprised by how much I got out of this, not just professionally, but personally. And I see that a keynote I did, I was working with uh, building service contractors. So people that manage run companies that that hire like commercial cleaners, you know, yeah. people are making 12, $13 an hour. And their leaders were at a keynote I was speaking at, and we did a design thinking session, invited them to reflect on what are you doing that's working to foster community? And what are you doing that's working to foster learning and development? And they got to come together and share ideas. And we gathered them up. Again, guy comes up to me at the end. This was a two hour session, the last day of a conference on a Saturday. I did not have high hopes. Yeah. <laughs> this was the best session of the conference because it was relevant and it was meaningful. You know, so I'm you, I, I love converting a skeptic <laughs> <laughs> by giving them an experience. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you have to prove yourself to people. Dude. And so I find that just by creating a space <laughs> that's inviting, that's focused on fostering connection and that's relevant to people mm. that they find value in it. They you know? do. They do. And I think you, yeah, you've, you've, you've shared so many great stories today, Rachel, on, mm. on how people, whether that's in their, <clears throat> sorry, in their personal life or in business, how they can, you know, use this superpower resilience to, improve their lives and the lives of those that they they care about and i think mm. that's that's wonderful thank you for sharing that if you had to leave us with sort of your three top tips for how to become more resilient what would those be invest in your relationships because we don't become stronger all, most of the time right through just standing ourselves up on our own that resilience is rooted in meaningful relationships that have mutual support and mutual curiosity and mutual care and mutual love and mutual compassion that investing in relationships so that when you do go through something hard that was one thing that really helped me was i had a community of people that i had invested in that poured back into me mm -hmm. and in tangible ways and emotional ways and spiritual ways through prayer through meals through sending me funny gifts in the mail, sending cards. I felt so loved and supported because I've opened myself up to that. So many of us are closed off to the love and support of other people because we feel like we're in a position or we're a burden. And so we don't want to need anybody. And I've learned that it's okay to need people and to let them know that you need them and to be willing to receive the love and support that they wanna give you and to have the courage to ask for what you need. So that is cornerstone key for me. Uh, including the support of my husband who like, there's no way I could have made it through any of this. He was the most supportive person the whole time navigating virtual teaching mm. and just being my rock and my stability.
another thing was really giving myself permission to feel. There's a there's a book called Permission to Feel by a guy named Mark Brackett, who's the executive director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And it's a great book. Again, Permission to Feel, a really great book for anyone that's looking to navigate how they can better understand and express and process their own emotions. Great. Therapy is another tool for that, particularly somatic therapy, S-O-M-A, um, D-I-C, therapy. And then another thing for me, honestly, was my sense of spirituality and my faith mm. really was a foundation for me. It's where I find meaning. A lot of the times meaning making, I have this belief that ultimately um, situations will arise that I get to choose how I respond to. And by how I respond, I get the opportunity to grow spiritually and to receive the power of prayer and to do reflection and journaling and sometimes reading a devotional, listen to a song that really speaks into my soul. But my, my church community was a really, really instrumental in both the burnout recovery and the accident recovery. Um, and I don't think we talk about that very much, but it's so essential um, from a really just deeply rooted uh, sense of, of, of purpose and meaning. Yeah. Um, so there's so many, but those are yeah. three. So three, so community, purpose, um, definitely having these strengths together um, and then this faith in, in something bigger yeah. definitely helps so thank you for sharing those and we could talk for hours and hours on this topic I'm sure <laughs> uh, we could and have a lot of joy and, and fun doing so but I'm going to have to wrap it up there so yeah. I'd love to, to thank you Rachel for being on the show today it's been a, a pleasure and very inspirational chatting with you today likewise Andrew thank you so much for having me you're welcome. And I hope your listeners enjoyed the podcast episode as much as I did. And if you want to find out more about Rachel, um, please visit her website. That's www.unmutedlife.com, where you can download her resilience toolkit, amongst other things. And you can also find Rachel on social media. And we put the links in the show description so you can connect with her there. And while you're on social media, why not share your experiences on the power of resilience and how mm. it's helped you using the, the hashtag joy superpowers and, and if you don't already do so please follow the art and science of joy on instagram facebook linkedin come join the conversation and help us spread the joy the world needs it people need it nature needs it so so come and help us do that so thanks once again for listening and i hope you tune in next week for the next episode of the art and science of joy podcast until then, stay well, stay joyful, and be resilient. <laughs>